What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, you are in Athens right now. You are still at your Airbnb. You're going to check out. You were at the game yesterday, a very interesting game. How was your mm-hmm. uh, your first trip to, to Sanford Stadium? It was amazing, man. Um, you know, working with SDS, I've been around Athens before a couple of times, but I've never like kind of been able to go to the game because you know how it works in our industry. Like I had to edit videos. So it was one of those, like I didn't want to be at a game thinking about stuff I had to do. Um, so got to get to hang out with Perry, the lad, huge shout out for him for, you know, just giving me a ticket kind of for my birthday, um, which is on Wednesday, but yeah, the environment was amazing, man. I, I've been joking that I, I literally saw two people that weren't cool the entire time and they were both South Carolina fans. Everybody was cool as heck to me the entire night. Um, Emery, the lad was there from the podcast group. He gave me a black Jordan Davis Jersey that I was wearing after the LSU game. Um, and, and stadium experience wise, man, it's, it's it's very I was thinking about this, right? So like you have your stadiums in the SEC that we think about, like, you know, Bryant Denny, Tiger Stadium, um, like the huge stadiums. And I'm like, I feel like that's a little bit more like um I'm trying to think how to say this. Cause I'm I'm an LSU fan and I've been, you know, to Tiger Stadium and that's where I've come up from. Let me say it like this. Um, Athens, Georgia Stadium is like a Trader Joe's. Like you go in there, everything makes sense. It's minimalist, it looks cool. You're like, okay, you get to see like these Greek columns coming out of like the horseshoe on the on the uh, the scoreboard side. And you're like, yo, like this just kind of feels like elevated college football. Like it's not doing too much. It's not like a this huge experience, but it's just right, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, the game started off and like it was this super intimidating factor. And everybody's looking around like, okay, yeah, we're gonna we're not gonna come out flat today. And brother. Did they come out flat? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I do want to let you know that an unconfirmed report came out of my text messages that if Georgia had lost that game to South Carolina as a four-touchdown favorite, which we're going to dig into in a little bit, um, you mm-hmm. may or may not have been considered the bad luck charm, and that could have potentially been your only trip ever to Sanford Stadium, your first and your last. So it's a good thing for you, I guess, for your mm-hmm. future entertainment that Georgia was able to pull it out after falling behind going into the breakdown 14 to three. So uh, Listen, good on I've you been for here for a day. <laughs> I've been here for a day. Mike Bobo has been here for like 20 years. All right. Don't this blame me. <laughs> this is very, very true. A lot that we're going to get to today. Um, and we're not going to do like a Bama breakdown or anything, but obviously we're going to talk about the quarterback situation in yeah or not, as Will said before we came I would on. love to do a Bama breakdown. <laughs> it's uh, the Bama quarterback situation is just all nah right now. So uh, all yeah, nah. Get, get ready for that. But yes, week three uh, was an interesting one. Let's start Let's start with the game uh, on Saturday night in the Swamp. Let's start with Tennessee in Florida. The streak continues. I don't think I got a single pick right outside of this one in lock of the week, which is the only thing that matters. I had people being like, oh, great week in picks. I'm like, no, 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 no. It was definitely not. Um, still no Tennessee win in the swamp the streak Mm -hmm. is going to go past two decades florida has won 17 of 19 games overall against tennessee wild just wild to think about huge for billy napier not huge for his job security but just getting florida fans to believe in something again man like that that atmosphere looked awesome my guy neil blackman was there looked like it was second to none Herb Street brought up the the stat that I had my final thoughts column before this game, which I, I think is is interesting to keep in mind. So before last night, the last time 
that Florida beat a ranked SEC team in the swamp. Okay, so let me say that again. Before last night, the last time that Florida beat a ranked SEC team in the mm-hmm. swamp was Auburn 2019 freshman Bonex. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's a that's that's been a minute. So I and obviously you know it's not that they haven't had great wins. They, they beat Utah at home last year, of course. 2020, you beat a ranked Georgia squad, but obviously that was in Jacksonville. Doing that in front of the home fans, though, against Tennessee. The old Charlie Brown pull the football once again. <laughs> Biggest win so far, uh, in my opinion, of, of the Napier era. Definitely. And, and the way that it happened, too, mm-hmm. because Florida was great in the red zone. They were great on third down. The game plan was everything, everything that you, me, that person that randomly watches Florida, the, the Florida fan who's a diehard, the Florida media member, everything that they have been calling for. It happened, Will. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. actually happened. ETN eight, dog. Trevor Etienne is so good. He's so good. And I don't want to say that I'm glad that Montreal Johnson, like, was it was a little bit more tough sledding for him in the ground game. Obviously, he had a touchdown in the passing game, and and he still brings such an element. But there was even a moment late in the game where, like, it's kind of weird. You know, Montreal Johnson hasn't been out for a few series. It's like, oh, it's because Trevor Etienne is so unbelievably good. Maybe Montreal Johnson mm-hmm. was a little bit banged up, and I just didn't know it. But think about this. Up until Saturday, we had only seen Etienne get more than 11 carries twice in a game in his young career, right? So mm-hmm. a year plus. That's not that much. But to see him get 23 carries and have a career-high 172 yards, 62-yard touchdown run that really got things going for Florida in the first quarter, man, he was he was great. He was fantastic. I thought Mertz made enough plays early. He was dealing with a hand injury on his left hand all the second half. They kept talking about that mm-hmm. with Holly Rowe. They're like, his hand is shaking. It's bloody. It's gross. Um but it kind of forced Florida into this game plan, right? To be able to lean on the ground game. And offensively, they weren't really much of anything in the second half. But they got to play the game that best suits their style and how we think Florida is going to win football games. What a concept when you see that. We were all out. right. Everyone who's watched Florida is right. It's like, wow, who would have thought Pearsall's really good, ETN's really good, make Graham Mertz throw the ball five and six yards down the field, and he's going to never have an incompletion. And this offense is hard to stop when you do that. Yeah, like this this is exactly it. This is the blueprint for Florida. For a lot of teams right now that are kind of searching for an identity, maybe maybe Tennessee is kind of searching for an identity a little bit, but I, I felt like Florida actually saw what it can look like, saw what it can look like. And it's not to say that that was a total peak game, because I do think that they've left some things out there in the passing game at times. But still, I, I just thought that that it really set up well. And you saw in the second half when Austin Armstrong was kind of dialing up these unique pressures, they were going to do things to try and get Joe Milton off of his spot. They brought up this stat on the broadcast, Will, and I'm so bummed that we haven't brought this up because it's fascinating. And I'm going to be thinking about this nonstop now whenever I watch him. Joe Milton, in his career has never thrown a touchdown pass on the run. So think about that. Like off-platform, basically. Okay. Every, every single touchdown pass in his career, he has set his feet. So even a, even like a naked boot or something like that, that mm-hmm. that's that's all we're talking about. We're not talking about he's got to be throwing it like, you know, Michael Vick or Pat Mahomes or something like that, 60 yards downfield off the wrong foot. Like, no, 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 no. We're just talking anything on the run 
And Florida looked like it knew that because it did a really, really nice job of being able to, to kind of get him out of position. That pick that he threw, which was the first one he's thrown in a Tennessee uniform. How about Brother, that? Play? How about thick King Desmond oh. Watson? Oh my gosh. Like when they showed the replay and he was just being engulfed by Desmond Watson, like a, like a, like a kraken. Like the tentacles are all over him. He was falling down and he's so massive. Like watching Joe Milton get sacked is such a wild experience. He's like six, four, six, five. Like he's a swole guy. And the fact that he even tried to throw the ball just shows how confident in himself he is. Cause Watson was like bringing him down like, like some type of ship in the sea. <laughs> can you think about the things that can happen to you on a football field? That would just absolutely suck. And we're obviously, we're, you know, it, it's a violent game where injuries happen and stuff like that. You know, torn ACL, concussion. Obviously, things can get even scarier, more serious. But of the things that can happen to you over the course of a game against Florida, mm-hmm. having Desmond Watson fall on you, 434-pound Desmond Watson fall on you as you throw a pick, that's mm-hmm. that's number one. Like, there, there's nothing more more daunting more physically tough to stomach that you will feel more when you wake up on Sunday morning than that instance right there. Huge play by a Mm -hmm. very huge man in that spot and kind of set Florida up. I mean, that was, that was a very pivotal play. I didn't really think, I don't know how much of this game you were, you were able to catch, um, but I didn't really think Joe Milton was, was the issue, you know, like I, and I didn't really love what we saw from the Tennessee receivers at times. Herb Street kind of called out Dante Thornton for not going up and getting a play downfield where it looked like, man, you got to attack that football and it would have been a long completion. But I didn't really think that Milton was necessarily the issue or the reason that they lost this game. It wasn't like he collapsed. He, I thought he made some big time throws. Love that throw down the sideline to Brew McCoy. He had another throw to Thornton mm-hmm. that I, I like exclaimed loudly to Lauren. I was like, that's the throw right there where it was just on a line and it was downfield like a seed. And it'll be, if if Joe Milton's in the NFL, that throw will be right there because it was, it was just absolutely perfect. But obviously he had, he had issues in this game, but I still didn't come away from it feeling like, Oh, Tennessee lost this game because Joe Milton collapsed in his first true hostile atmosphere. Did you? Oh no, I've I've seen this. Oh, I've seen this game. 10, 12 times. This was a bad Josh Heupel game, okay? This is how he used to lose at UCF that soured the fans on him. This is what he did at Cincinnati at the end of his UCF career. He would go on the road, and we saw it. The scripted plays, off the bat, dynamic. They got down the field super quick to start the game. And then they started facing that adversity on the road. The crowd noise started getting loud. And suddenly this offense went from this thing that was unstoppable to getting off the field really quickly. It went from this thing that was dynamic to uncreative. It went from this thing that, okay, it looks so multiple. It looks like you can't guard anybody to it's in a, in a closet. Um, and I think what I started to realize as I watched this game is uh, what made the original Milton, McKenzie Milton, work for Josh Heupel, what made Hendon Hooker work for Josh Heupel was not their arm talent or their ability to read, you know, all these reads. It was the ability to keep the play alive with their feet. And exactly what you just said about um, Joe Milton he is not beating the TJ Finley allegations. That guy cannot throw on the move. And so when you get this offense that is one read and that has all this pressure coming down on it, it's almost like you need that kind of leadership and mobility that both of those other quarterbacks had that it doesn't feel like Joe Milton has at this point in his 
20, you know, he's my age, but he, he can't really get the boys going and make a play to keep the offense on the field. He'll run the play as called, but as we've described, Josh Heupel doesn't know how to call plays in that situation to change the momentum of a game. I think he doesn't understand momentum is the issue here. I think penalties are also the issue. I do. Also, I, I, yep. Uh, look, they were bad, and I didn't agree with every call. At one of those blindside block calls, I was like, ah, you, I think you've got to let that go. I, oh, I the officiating was horrible. Yeah, mm-hmm. officiating left something to be desired. That play where they, they like, <laughs> the official like kicked the ball and moved it, and then the center kind of has to grab it again for Tennessee, and then the official comes in and is like, no, 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 let me, get, let me reset the football again after the other official kicked it. When Tennessee was trying to go quickly, then Florida is able to bring in two on the substitution. And then Heupel is livid on fourth one because Florida gets the substitution. They get a big time stop when when Tennessee was down two scores there. And it was a huge game. And they, they were talking about on the broadcast, like, what just happened there? Like, what? why didn't I, I'm, I agree with Josh Heupel? Why weren't they able to get that playoff? Um, that, that play was was just bizarre. And there were a couple that you're just like, man, this is you kind of got to let that go. Um, but still, at the same time. Tennessee fans can admit discipline an issue double digit Mm -hmm. penalties for the second consecutive week. You cannot do that on the road. You can do that and get away with it at home against Austin P. You're not going to do that on the Mm -hmm. road and get away with it at Florida. Tennessee also committed the worst penalty ever, ever the single worst penalty that if you watch this in the film room, they're just going to ask you to get up and leave. They're they're just going to say, Hey, don't come back. Just take, take a lap, take a lap around the entire campus and then come back. You will run a mile. You will run every step. Uh, Six minutes left. Florida's up 13. Gators have the ball on fourth and one. They're deep in their own territory. So they're they're not going to go for it. Everybody knows they're not going to go for it. Nobody in that stadium thinks that Florida is trying to do anything except hard count and get Tennessee Mm -hmm. to jump offside. And Tennessee fell for it. Don't you know it? Like that told you the story of their discipline. And it was a huge spot because obviously, especially with, with the, the current uh, first down rules with the clock stopping and not stopping until under two minutes, that was a really pivotal play in the game. I thought when it looked like Tennessee was actually doing some things offensively and a lot of the second half, Tennessee was the superior team, I thought, but mm-hmm. that, that, that just was the type of mistake that they were making. And so if you're a Tennessee fan, you might be telling yourself, well, you know, what's, what's the big deal last year, bottom 10 in the country in penalty yards and Tennessee won 11 games, best season in 19 years. Aren't penalties kind of, you know, overrated a little bit. Here's the thing. Penalties are overrated. If you have the number one offense in the country and you get chunk plays at will, that's not what Tennessee is doing this year. It's not. And I know they had three passing plays of 20 yards in this one, but the chunk plays have been an issue coming in. And you put a lot of pressure on yourself if if that's the type of – if you're going to get off schedule like that, it's really, really going to hurt you, and it's so much more difficult to overcome that. That's a very basic thing, but I just mm-hmm. think that's the difference between last year and this year. And it's it's going to be an issue if they do not get that cleaned up. They're not good enough to overcome that basically is what I'm saying. I I still think they're going to win a bunch of games this year. I'm not really as worried about that. What this game though said more about to me was Florida has some fight. Florida Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. just getting dunked on in prime time two weeks ago and everybody's starting Billy Napier buyout. 
I love the way Florida's offensive line came out. I love that they actually were trusted to go win that football game. I think defensively they're figuring some things out. I love me some Cam Jackson up front. He and Desmond Watson are going to be so fun to watch on a weekly basis. And if that's going to be a staple up front, they're going to be in a really good spot. I'm happy that for one week I don't have to talk about the stupidity of Billy Napier potentially getting a $31 million buyout. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for that, okay? I Because I, I just think it's ridiculous and – I just don't need to be talking about that on radio shows or anything, but great response for Florida. And Will, look at this, look at this, this upcoming schedule for Florida. You don't want to get ahead of yourself, especially last year. If you're losing to Vandy, you don't deserve to get ahead of yourself. You don't take it one game Mm -hmm. at a time, but I can look at the schedule and, and ask a question. You've got Charlotte at home. You go to Kentucky, a team that has just gotten off to slow start basically every single week. You're home against Vandy, who, by the way, could not close out the fight in Barry Odoms and missed a 33-yard field goal that would have won in the game. And then they mm-hmm. still found a way to lose in regulation. And then you're at South Carolina, who has been up and down, I think, so far this year. Those are four very winnable games, Will. And that's before mm-hmm. Georgia. Okay, So that would be heading into Georgia. Is there a world in which Florida is 6-1 and one going into the Georgia game, or am I crazy? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a world. I think they definitely lose. I, they, I, well, I don't think definitely anything, especially with South Carolina. I think they probably split Kentucky-South Carolina, just given how both of those teams have the ability to catch fire. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. And it kind of goes to our thing that it's it's weird. It's, Florida is the team that I feel like we've weirdly been kind of on the pulse. And that's, like, what I and we were saying about, like, the whole Anthony Richardson thing. It's like, Billy Napier just needs someone who can run his offense. And that's what we saw at a Graham Mertz. Their offense, when it works, looks a lot like Utah's when it works. Like I said, it's a quarterback moving the ball down the field in five and six yard chunks. It's not making mistakes. It's And when you have on one side of the ball, a team that's designed to just pump the air out of the football and another team that is designed to get up and down the field and, and quickly score, we saw how suffocating that was when that offense doesn't leave the ball on the turf the way that Anthony Richardson was doing with the incompletions. Yeah, I agree. I think that when you see Graham Mertz and some of these rollouts and you see him doing things differently than he did at Wisconsin, little play action rollout. All right, I'm going to find Caleb Douglas over here. I'm going to hit Ricky Pearsall 10 yards. You're, you're going to basically turn to a veteran quarterback and say, I'm going to trust you to find the soft spot in the zone or, or whatever. And that's the way this thing is going to work. It's not going to be making the highlight real plays. That's not going to be what determines Florida success, because obviously we've seen what that looked like last year. And it got him to a six and seven season, but a big, big night. One last thing on this game. Mm-hmm. Very petty timeouts called at the end. Oh my uh, gosh, bro. Oh my God. That was, I, I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, wait a minute. So like, Billy Napier, I think, called a timeout to let the crowd kind of soak it in. All right. And then Hypo calls a timeout basically as Tennessee players are going into the tunnel. And I, it nearly led to a brawl because... Then, of course, you get Graham Mertz going down, and then he gets pushed down, and we're like, oh, boy, here we go. They're going to have benches mm-hmm. clearing. Officials actually kind of stepped in, but I don't know. Maybe it's good to see bad blood still exist between these two teams. That's a positive. Yeah, I think, and I'm so glad that you hit on the penalties thing because I think fundamentally we're saying the same thing, which is that this team is undisciplined. And I think in the end, like, really showed that. I mean, yeah, you, you have a play where, at, you know, you know Graham Mertz is just going to go down – 
and, you know, enjoy the win. It's victory formation. There's not a situation where you can win on that play and there's one play left. And, you know, the team is just out there getting chippy. And, yeah, I think that both sides of that coin are the thing. And I think what it points to is, like I said, I think I think that for the Hypo teams to work, you need lots of player-based leadership. Um, and I just want to say one more thing before we move on. Uh, this is my favorite post on this game because that, that streak is so funny to me. Um, and I don't know what I was thinking that Tennessee would suddenly figure out everything in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. There's a post from like Reddit college football and it's a Tennessee fan that says, I think when I die and go to hell, it would be an endless loop of Tennessee playing at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Not sure how people didn't expect to see this result. Uh, <laughs> and then somebody responded, I've never actually seen Florida lose to Tennessee in the swamp. The last time that happened was before I started watching football. The first Florida Tennessee game I watched was in 2004. And then another Florida fan comments, my son, I remember watching Peyton Manning. Those were the days. Oh, it's, that streak is insane, dog. My bad. Again, I apologize to you, Florida. I was not familiar with your game. This is what you do well. This is, and I, I try not to default to that as much, and I try and use as much context as possible. I'm like, ah, oh, droughts, streaks, they don't really exist. But this one, I was just like, you know what? just kind of feels like Florida's going to show up ready to go, and they absolutely did that. Speaking of teams that showed up ready to go, South Carolina showed up ready against Georgia for a second. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't say a second. For a minute or a two. Half. Yeah, half. For, a, for a half. I wondered, are we seeing 2019? all over again because mm-hmm. man that was uh that was startling I, I thought I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for Beamer's pregame speech those guys came out looking possessed the offensive line was great Spencer Rattler was on target the game script was awesome from Dow Loggins if you had told me that South Carolina was going to jump out to a 14 to 3 halftime lead I would have said will uh, what sport are we talking about here? That's uh, not happening in football. I don't really mm-hmm. see that. Um, how much angst was there in that stadium as South Carolina got off to that great start? It was bad, man. Like at halftime, silence. And like, I don't know. I'm used to being in like LSU games, like in Tiger Stadium when we're losing. One thing about Cajuns are not quiet. You know, you'll hear some MFs, you'll hear some people, God, that dang, I knew that quarterback was no good. When you were in Stanford Stadium, it's like that. It, you could literally hear a pin drop. I was like, I was like, I don't know, can I get a water? Where do I get a water? I was like trying to not like bother anybody. It was a wild scene, man. Yeah, that's, and for Georgia fans, I, I guess, you know, you've been frustrated with the home slate. You want to see some good games. You got yourself a good game. That's, that's the mm-hmm. good news for you. I, I loved how good Spencer Rattler has looked this year. And that's probably not going to be a popular opinion because people like dunk on him. South Carolina is one and two. And if you just look at the box score for this one, you see the late interceptions. Uh, but I, he also didn't really have much of a chance with Georgia's pressure late. But I, I just think Spencer Rattler has, has gotten better. Even with mm-hmm. Juice Wells going down, which was such a massive bummer that he, after that touchdown where he is so good in space and he gets to the end mm-hmm. zone, he's got a broken bone in his foot. And and you're just like, man, it, it just seems like Spencer Rattler just can't catch a break. I, I didn't necessarily find myself waiting on that Spencer Rattler mistake. Watching him this year, the experience has totally changed. I find myself going, if he gets time, he is going to pick you apart. And that's the maturation that I think we're seeing. And that if you're a South Carolina fan who's frustrated with this one and two start and you're like, I don't really want to talk about silver linings as much. I would say that's still a worthy silver lining is that your guy has 
looked really, really good in those spots. I don't know if he's going to last a full season behind that offensive line because even, you know, quarter to quarter, it's tough to predict what you're going to get from him. And that's not the the headline because obviously Georgia responded, as Shane Beamer said, like a championship team. They made sure this game did not go down to the wire. But a few things here. We can officially put to rest the narrative of Georgia is keeping it conservative to not show anything. I'll, I'm, to hide all the good plays. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, I, I, I suggested that coming into this one. I thought maybe, maybe they're just kind of holding out for South Carolina. Mm, nope, I'm uh, – <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's that's the case. Three games, all at least four touchdown favorites. Georgia has had total in those three games to start off this season ten points in the first quarter. Whatever game script Mike Bobo is dialing up, it's not working early on, at least. And having said that, I thought the second half adjustments were excellent. I loved what Bobo did coming out of the break. Those first two drives, I'm like, yes, this is what Georgia needs to look like. The pre-snap motion, they actually take chances downfield. They decide, let's just force feed Brock Bowers targets. They get Dejan Edwards healthy in this one. They turn to him. They say, our better is still better than your better up front. We're going to beat you in the trenches. Georgia did that in spades by day's end. But Mm -hmm. I think we need to move past the notion that this Georgia offense, as much as we talked about the explosive possibilities of it coming into this year, I think we need to move past the idea that it's going to be on par with 2022. I, I just don't think that's fair at this point. Like we haven't seen that. We, we just, we really have it quarter to quarter. It can be really stagnant. You're surprised. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. You're not surprised when they hit a big play, but you don't expect them. And ultimately, you know that they're probably going to move the chains enough because even without Mims up front who went down in this one, they're still super talented. I don't know. I, did did it feel like Georgia in getting those big plays was just such a struggle because there there wasn't a lot of rhythm to this offense outside of those, really those two drives, it felt like where Beck got cooking to start the second half. Yeah, it was so strange, man. Like, I literally felt like I walked into a portal until, like, 2007. Like, I looked up in the middle of the third quarter. It was 17 to 14. It was raining. Uh, People were screaming, God dang it, Bobo, behind me. I was like, I feel like I'm just in, like, the mid-2000s watching SEC football. And it's, you know, it's what made me fall in love with the game. But, unfortunately, uh, (laughs) I don't think other SEC teams are just going to take a second half off the way South Carolina did. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think the issue with this offense is, and me and Perry talked about this a lot, and, and I think schematically, it's, it's not, let me, let me totally explain this, okay? In terms of formations, in terms of personnel, stuff like that, that part of it's not super different from last year. But the thing that is very different is um, last year, they, when Munkin was getting guys, and particularly Brock Bowers, open in space yes. in the middle of the field, like yep. 10 yards upfield. These plays to Bowers last year looked like screen passes that he caught 10 years, ten yards in the middle of the field with a head of steam. Now everything is at, behind, or right in front of the line of scrimmage like that. You see the halfback slip screens, which are like that, like Bobo staple. And the problem is, too, you don't have Stetson Bennett. So in this new offense, a guy like Stetson Bennett could make a play with his legs. He would have the courage to take a chance downfield. 
Beck does not have that courage. I mean, we saw it to start the second half because it was uh, desperation. Okay. But when he, they had a chance to hit those receivers that may be open downfield. So, and that's the other thing. The Georgia receivers just weren't getting great separation all night. And so maybe if the guys are running wide open downfield, maybe if the offense is schemed to give him more downfield looks that are easier, he hits more of those guys. But as this quarterback fits with this system, he does not trust himself in this offense enough to open up and take the top off of the defense. And once you do that, it's like we're defending 10 yards. This is easy. I agree. They, they, they do look a little bit easy to defend at points, which is hard to 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 think about for a team that we talked a lot about the pass catcher options they miss lab mcconkey they do they mm-hmm. they absolutely do him having this lingering back issue is hopefully something that maybe by the end of you're just i think if you're a georgia fan you're just kind of hoping that maybe by like mid-season or something he's going to look like himself and he's going to be able to add a, a big piece to this offense because I think his blocking is needed. I think what he can do on the outside and how good he is with some of those screens. I I, I think he's a great fit in in what Bobo is trying to do and mm-hmm. not having him out there has really been costly. Not having a, a guy like Darnell Washington, uh, who, you know, you, you feel comfortable running a lot of those, those 12 personnel sets where it just gives Georgia so much more versatility, I think, and they can disguise a lot better. You know, not to discredit Oscar Delp or anything like that, but they, they just don't necessarily look as interchangeable, I think, as they did last year. And I don't know, maybe that there is a lack of trust with Carson Beck throwing downfield because they have really not given him a ton of those opportunities. And I love mm-hmm. to picture what Aaron Murray's doing at home, thinking to himself, dang it, Bobo, give him those chunk plays. Let him take a shot. Let him take a shot right now because mm-hmm. they need it. it I, I don't get why they don't try and stretch the field more often. They had the nice long gain and Marcus Roseme, Jack, Jack Saint, but it, it just feels like a group that's still searching for, for what that, that identity is. And I, I don't think it's going to be, um, I, I think it's going to be a group that's a little bit more like 2021 where they're going to get set up with short fields because this defense mm-hmm. looks awesome when it flips that switch, which it definitely did in the second half. They should benefit from that. I'm not saying that they need to be able to have a historically dominant defense in order for the offense to feel like it can do anything, but it will definitely mm-hmm. benefit from that. And here's the good news, Georgia fans. If you came away Wait, from this thing something really quick before you change topics on that, I do want to say one more thing about like Bowers. What kills me about him is that when you're in this situation where you're struggling to move the ball and you need that release valve, like they, that was another way that Munkin was really good is he almost created a position for Bowers. Like he would make him into this like hybrid slot receiver where the defense always had to account for him. He would move him into the backfield. He would, you know, the defense from every play had to see where Brock Bowers was. He's playing him like Jay Rome. You know what I'm saying? Like the tight end they had back in the early 2010s where it's like, oh, you're an, you're a tight end. You're an inline blocker. You're running tight end routes. He's not a tight end. Brock Bowers is not a tight end. Playing him that way is, I think, a waste of his talents. You were breaking up a little bit there. Sorry, Will's 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 rocking this from, from an Airbnb. But yeah, the 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 ability to to kind of use him in, in all these different sets. And maybe, maybe some of this is Bowers as a dog. I think it was Dog Nation who reported beforehand he's dealing with a groin injury. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's impacting some of his usage or not, but I don't know. They just they have not had those those looks there that have just made you feel like, ah, oh, yeah, this Georgia offense totally gets it. And uh, I I wonder if this is going to be just kind of a quarter to quarter type of deal. And you you should just expect some of these slow starts. You should just expect they're going to have 
a, a few drives in a row where it's maybe three and out, three and out, or they're, they're not really doing what you need them to do. But obviously they did enough to be able to win that game on Saturday against the South Carolina team that was ready to roll. There's no doubt about that. Here's the good news for Georgia. What contender in college football isn't having some troubling moments so far? Like, who has who really passed the eye test each and every week? Because Texas, coming off of its biggest win in over a decade, went into <laughs> that fourth quarter tied against Wyoming. Florida State mm-hmm. was in a dogfight against Boston College. Michigan threw three picks against Bowling Green. Ohio State hasn't really inspired much confidence so far, although I realize the final number looks better for what they did in week three. That like This could just be what the, the college football season is. We mm-hmm. don't really have that one specific juggernaut who just goes in and just drops the hammer on everybody on a weekly basis. And everybody kind of debates who the best team in the country is. And there's maybe five or six teams that have an argument. And maybe Georgia is part of that conversation. If you're Georgia, you shouldn't really care. That's that's yeah. not like what is what is getting to uh, a, a margin of victory of plus 28 per game going to really get you. It's all about getting to 12 and 0, having mm-hmm. that playoff berth potentially locked in going into the SEC championship. That's I think the biggest goal if you're a Georgia fan and hopefully you're figuring things out along the way because obviously you're going to need to if you're going to three-peat and you're going to have to find obviously all the ways to make this offense go. But yeah, weird weird day at Athens. I was dead wrong about Georgia making a statement. I guess the statement was more of Hey, we can come back from from a deficit. We do have a switch that we can flip, and uh, George was able to do that. One one question about that: Do you worry about kind of the tackling and the lack of like physicality from the defense in the first half? Because it was night and day on defense. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I don't really worry about that as much. I don't. I, yeah, I still I s- figured out. Yeah, I feel like Kirby's going to get that figured out. Some of the missed tackles early on, and and you, if you watch the the Juice Wells touchdown, that's not a play that typically happens against Georgia, where they get downfield blocking. He makes people miss in space. What mm-hmm. more feels like the path to beat Georgia is oh, team takes a chance on an outside corner or like they like a one on one matchup. They had a safety trying to cover this dude over the top, and the receiver goes up and makes a play. You're usually not knifing your way through that entire defense. So I don't really know that we can sit here and say that that's going to become uh, a thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I felt better after what we saw in the second half from that group. I, there's probably plenty that Kirby's going to want to clean up on film. And they, mm-hmm. they looked like they cleaned it up in the second half. So yeah, though they're just not vintage 2021. I mean, they, they have a long ways yeah. to go to, to show that they're that good. Oh, and sorry. One more shout out. Xavier Leggett. That dude is a baller. He's awesome. Oh my gosh, man. It was like that first half, everything that was up to him was like one V none. Like he was, Oh, Oh, that was like the loudest, like, you know, 76 yards and a half I've ever seen. It was crazy. And credit Xavier Legat, who could have checked out last year when he got off to a mm-hmm. terrible start. And it was almost like he, when he returned that kickoff for a touchdown against AM, it flipped mm-hmm. his career. He was a guy that was supposed to do a lot. He and Josh Mann last year, I, I remember just thinking, like, these guys are invisible. And then Leggett steps into that, steps into that role with Juice Wells going down. And that's the good news for South Carolina is that he has stepped up in such a major way. I don't know that they want to be relying on Luke Doty as a receiver that much, but that's just <laughs> kind of where they're at. I mean, yeah. he made some plays. He made some plays yeah. credit to him. Uh, but 
yeah, Xavier Leggett is, he is a fun player. He has had an all SEC type start to his season. If you're listening to this and you're not already subscribed to the Saturday Down South YouTube channel, why not? What are you waiting for? Do it right now. If you want a place where you can find all of our interviews that we do, you want to be able to listen to full episodes of the Saturday Down South podcast, as well as Saturday Football Uncensored, this is the place to do it. The Saturday Saturday Down South YouTube channel. We're going to have so much more content there this fall. One of those people you sit at work and you're like, yeah, I like to be able to watch how, you know, I, I like to be able to watch my podcast. I'm not necessarily one that sits on my phone and listens the whole time. All you got to do, just hit that subscribe button. We're going to have tons and tons of great video content coming your way this fall. Saturday Down South on YouTube. Go subscribe right now. Will Kansas State, Mizzou, Toby, Keith, game. Yes, sir. How do you like, how do you like me now? Eli Drinkwitz, even after he did his best attempt to try and lose that game with just one of the most inexcusable delay of game penalties you will ever see in that spot. Mizzou was looking like it was going to try and attempt a 56-yard field goal, and then that delay of game penalty happens where they're mm -hmm. still on the sideline. They don't realize the play clock's winding down, but when you got the thicker kicker, it doesn't matter. My mm -hmm. man, friend of the program, Harrison Mevis, 61 yards longest field goal in sec history walk-off winner rough start never to the year never well you know what there were a lot of people that were clowning on him and look i get it when you when you when you get off to a rough start and you're a college kicker when you're a kicker at any level you have one mm -hmm. job okay how many kickers in college football even get the opportunity to attempt that kick because you might say oh well, what's the harm Buddy, don't tell don't ask me what's the harm. The harm is is kick six. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We know we all know what the harm exactly could be. The worst case scenario. And if you were a Kansas State fan watching that game, you definitely saw your guy back there and you thought, hey, you never know. You just never know. And mm -hmm. man, that was just an absolute bomb. Um the SEC might just try and remove Mizzou altogether from the SEC just for rushing the field because that's mm -hmm. The punishments these days are, are are so unbelievably harsh. But man, what what a moment for for Eli Drinkowitz. We talked about this coming in. Felt like a, a potential fork in the road game for this team. And just just in terms of fan expectations, I'm not saying Mizzou is going to win nine or ten games or anything like that. But in the mm -hmm. battle to not be mid, you had to win a game like this, and they did it. These they two did teams it having a mid off. Yeah, they did. Like the spread in this game was. It came all the way down, I think, to three and a half. And mm -hmm. I, I, I was baffled that the spread was as low as it was. And then Mizzou and, and Kansas State gave us the best game of that of that early window. And it was it was fun watching these these teams go back and forth. What gets lost in the shuffle of that that kick was what set it up. Theo East made a really really nice catch in traffic. Mookie Cooper was great. They had the non-Luther Burden guys step up. Huge toughness shown by Brady Cook when he was clearly hobbled in the second half of that game. He and Will Howard were were both hobbled. It was like which quarterback can 
can work their way back to the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. and not take the entire play clock to do so because they were clearly limping. And I, if I'm Brady Cook in that spot, all I'm thinking about is if I give way to Sam Horn and if he comes in and beats Kansas State, I'm out of a job. So good on him <laughs> for staying in there. A lot of toughness shown. The Luther Burden connection, though, is just it's become so fun to watch for say what you want about the Mizzou offense or whatever. Luther Burden is appointment viewing. He is, for my money, the most electric player in the SEC. You could put maybe Xavier Leggett, Barry and Brown kind of into that conversation. But we talked about Burden coming into this game and and all the targets he was getting in this offense. He actually hit the under on our seven and a half catches. Ends up with seven catches, 114 yards, two scores. You just you can put him all over the field. He's obviously he's thriving in that slot role with Dom Lovett off to Georgia. But just a guy that is living up to the hype. When you come in as the number one receiver recruit in the country, this is what we expect it to look like. And he is a game changer. Kansas State just didn't really have an answer for him, whether he was catching passes in the flat or whether he was beating him downfield. He is a fun, fun player and just somebody that Mizzou so desperately needs because if they did not have Luther Burden, there's no way they're sitting there at 3-0. There's just no way. And instead... We're talking about a team that maybe by the time people are listening to this, we'll know the answer to the, but should be in the AP top 25 have the SEC's best win to date by beating the reigning big 12 champs in Kansas state. I I just, uh, I thought that was a, a really, really gutsy win for a team that has not had a ton of those. It's one thing to kind of beat Florida to be able to get bowl eligibility or something like that down the stretch, but to have this kind of buzz early in the season, I think that's just so unbelievably huge for Mizzou. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, it's the biggest you know, win of the season for an SEC team. It's the biggest win of drinks coaching career. It changed so many things for this Mizzou team. And exactly like you said, you know, we're not talking about them winning the East. Although everybody looks so bad. I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but I will say like, you know, I, I picked Mizzou. Well, let me, let me paint this picture for you. Okay. So we're at this tailgate. Right. There are two people who are not Georgia fans at this tailgate. It's me and a Kansas State fan. No <laughs> so way. We're sitting there. We got a split screen TV and LSU is just teeing off on Mississippi State. And I'm just sitting there, you know, go Tigers. Blah, blah, blah. And this dude's just his gaze is just getting lower and lower as the day goes on. And everyone's rooting for Kansas State because, you know, we got a Kansas State fan there. Me quietly having like picked Mizzou. I'm like, oh, you, you guys got him. But I just like had a feeling about this game. And then in a weekend that. Everybody was wrong about everything. You know, I mean, every game feels like it was the opposite of, you know, what we thought it would be almost. This is one that I was like, you know, Drake has to win this game to be serious, to be a serious football team. And he did it. He did what we hoped he would do. He entertained us. And that's what this whole thing is about, right? Like, it's not just about, oh, you know, it's, we make it so much so much more serious than it has to be. For Mizzou, I just wanted something to believe in. We've seen so much Brady Cook. We've seen so much of this offense. And when you see that beautifully constructed trick play that leaves Luther Burden wide open streaking down the field, it's like, this is it. This is what this looks like. This is what you hope to have when you bring in an offensive play call for the first time. This is what you hope to have when you've got a guy that's been in your system. I guess they kind of tweak things, but a guy that's been with you now for four years in Brady Cook, and I'm by no means going to become a Brady Cook apologist or anything like that, but you're seeing these pieces click. You came back this this year with a team that in the final Bill Connolly percentage of returning production rankings that came out in August, 
Mizzou was at number two. Number two, percentage of returning production doesn't mean if you're high in those rankings, it doesn't mean you're winning a national title. If you're low in those rankings, it doesn't mean that you're going to go 0 and 12. What those rankings are a great indicator of is improvement, progression versus regression. That's the biggest thing. And if this Mizzou team was not going to progress, you would look at your fourth year coach and say, where are we going? If not now, then when? And this is the type of game that even though it came down, obviously, to a last second historic kick, you still feel like could be a huge victory for this program early in the year, just to feel good about feeling good, to feel like you are going in the right direction. Because I still like a lot of the things that Blake Baker does. And defensively, I think they're going to keep them in a lot of ball games. I, I really do, especially if the offense is still burden focused the majority of the time. But if Mizzou is eight and four, they have this superstar player in Luther Burden that's fun to watch. You spend some time in the top 25. Maybe you beat another team that you're not supposed to beat, which they're going to have to. The schedule is still really difficult. But that's the type of stuff that we talk about that can make a big difference with the fan base. It's not getting to bowl eligibility by virtue of beating Arkansas. Like, yeah, I guess those moments are, are, are kind of fun. And But it's having some of these moments in September where you don't feel like you're a beaten down fan base. And I thought this game, which was so entertaining back and forth, gave us that. And coming off of the year, uh, or coming off the, the game rather last year in which you got smoked in this one, just absolutely trucked. This was a really, really nice sign for them moving forward. And now you get an opportunity, maybe, perhaps, to go into SEC play with uh, maybe you're going to be in the top 25 with a chance to win a game against a Power 5 foe as an AP top 25 team for the first time since 2014. That's what we're talking about. That's mm-hmm. nine years. Even when you had Drew Locke there, you couldn't beat a power five team when you were ranked in the AP top 25. So that, that I think is, is how you start to change the perception. And obviously you change the perception by winning games on the road. You also change the perception by having your fans rush the field with a sellout crowd, a rare sellout crowd mm-hmm. in Columbia and doing so uh, in the way that they did it. It was fun. That was a fun, fun game. And Mizzou has not been a part of a ton of fun football games over the years. So it was big. It was really, really big. Mm-hmm. Do we do we want to go to the game, the other game that you were watching at noon? Uh, yeah, yeah, you were Eastern time zone. 11 a.m. local yeah. time. But wow, yeah, of course you want to go to it. LSU. I would love nothing more than to talk about this game. Yes, finally. LSU, LSU beat the snot out of Mississippi State. Did, yeah, they did. I think Malik Neighbors might have had another big play by the time I finished this sentence. He mm-hmm. was incredible. It, I tweeted this out. It reminded me of when Julio was with the Falcons and he would have those first halves. Justin Jefferson does this now too, where he has these first halves where you look up at the box score and you just think to yourself, oh my God. This guy is already single-handedly somehow won this game or at least put them in position to do so. He is unguardable. He will catch anything that you throw at him. How is this team going to have an answer? He Malik Neighbors could not be stopped. Just could not be stopped. I don't know what Mississippi State was thinking with some of the coverage early on where they were giving them Malik Neighbors. That was not the best idea, but... They didn't have an answer. You're not going to put him in single coverage and be able to figure that out either. And 
when Jaden recognized that and decided I need to just feed him, it was it was over. 13 catches on 13 targets for 239 yards and two touchdowns. Every bit the game that we thought he was capable of coming into this year as maybe probably the best receiver in the SEC, one of the five best receivers in all of college football. In addition to Malik being that good, I thought Jaden played phenomenally. The best game he has played in an LSU uniform because in that setting, there was concern from Brian Kelly that they were going to show up sleepy. And don't you know it, if you watch the broadcast, you saw that they pulled over at a car dealership in West Point, Mississippi at 8.20 in the morning to get everybody off the bus and out there stretching so that the message was sent. If you are sleepy for this one, you will get humbled. And I look, I, I think Brian Kelly is saying, I'm, re- I'm now recognizing my team as a very low floor. They also have that kind of ceiling. And that was an absolute beat down when Jaden is that dialed in, which by the way, best completion percentage ever by an LSU quarterback with at least 25 attempts, 88% for 10.6 yards per attempt. When he is effective like that, and he is looking to throw instead of just default to his legs, it is, it is so special to watch. And uh, yeah, I was, it was a reminder of why this LSU team, some were so, so high on coming into this year that felt like, Everything just clicked at the exact right time, and uh, it, it was just it was just kind of working, and it was fun to be able to watch. A hundred percent, yeah. And I've never been happier to be wrong about a game. I mean, the thing that I thought this Mississippi State team would be able to hang their hat on this year, and something that they were doing fine until this game was their defense. Um, obviously, the offense has been clunky, and maybe I was a little bit too uh, bullish on my expectations of transitioning from the air raid to, you know, this more like run heavy pistol set yeah. hand up. I was super wrong that Kevin Barbe pick in the OC draft Perry was letting me hear about that the whole time. But the thing that shocked me about this is, you know, it's fine if their offense is, is, you know, bad. Zach Arnett is one of the best defensive minds in the sport of football. No matter what you say about Mississippi state, you can't take that away. That's why, you know, he is interviewed with, you know, Saban has talked to him, Brian Kelly talked to him, and they tried to get him away from Mississippi State because he's so smart and good tactically. That's why I was scared about this game because I thought he could kind of get into the backfield. And if they made this into a rock fight the way they did last year, that's when you start le- leaning on marks. That's when LSU's ground game starts to be more of a factor. Jaden Daniels said he was having none of that. He came out slinging from the jump. And I mean, the, the way that they have responded after that, you know, with Brian Kelly, you just honestly never know because when they implode, it's so unexpected, but then they'll come out in a game like this. And like, I just want to say, and like, even though I was wrong about, you know, how this game played out, anyone who at any point, especially now who's calling for uh, Jaden Daniels to get benched, insane. Stanford Steve said that on game day. I saw that. That is one of the most insane things I've ever heard in my entire life. Then Jaden Daniels comes out. Not only does he lead the team in rushing, Connor, with two rushing scores, he breaks a Joe Burrow passing record, finishes with 361 on 34 attempts and 30 completions. I mean, like, that's better than I thought Jaden Daniels was. So at the end of the day, let's not hear the name Nussmeyer again until there's some type of an injury. How about that? It's it's perfectly fair, and I we talked about it with Josh Pate about how you know is it possible that the offense could could go better with Garrett Nussmeyer, 
And you kind of needed to see a game like that from Jaden though at the same time. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that you know, Stanford Steve is probably taking it on the chin from LSU fans, even though if Jaden had gotten off to a bad start, there would have been plenty of LSU fans who have said, let's see what Garrett Nussmeyer can do. Um, oh, I'm talking to LSU fans too. I know there are some LSU fans that never yeah. believed in this kid. Yeah, but he he was great. He was he was phenomenal. It was everything that you thought he could be with a little bit more comfortability in the Mike Denbrock offense. And the decision-making was second to none. You know who else looked great, Will? Um, you might have heard of this guy. I think we've mentioned his name once or twice in this podcast over the course of the last year plus. Harold Perkins. Um, you might have seen mm-hmm. him on a milk carton. You might have seen him in headlines somewhere, but actually seeing him on the football field looking great, getting opportunities to be able to rush the passer and Madhouse's defense. Golf clap. Golf clap. You let the guy do what he does best. About time, man. About time. There were instances, even when he is he wasn't getting home, where he was rushing Will Rogers. And when you rush Will Rogers and you kind of get him rolling out and not necessarily being able to set his feet. That's, that's bad news bears for that offense. That, that is what I'm really concerned about on the Mississippi state side is I am really skeptical of this offense working because for the first three weeks, it just has not looked good. And I knew this transition was going to take a bit. I thought we would at least see more signs of life in this game where it seemed like once they couldn't get the ground game going early with Marks, they had no idea what to do. None whatsoever. And Marks had the big, what was it, like a 52-yard run that kind of made the numbers look more skewed than they were. But LSU just totally dominated everything Mississippi State was trying to do. I think it was 16 plays for seven yards to start the game. I mean, it was a completely one-sided affair. Will Rogers had... Just such an inefficient, frustrating game. It almost felt like we were watching at points the 2020 early on Mississippi State can't get a first down version of the air raid when they just didn't have the personnel yeah. to be able to execute that yet. And right now, yeah, I should have remembered that. That as as hard as it was to get into the air raid with a great coach, that's what I should have thought about. These transitions are not easy. And I think Arkansas is is maybe showing some signs of that with the issues that they have on the offensive line, which we'll get to later. And Mississippi State right now, that game looked like what Mississippi State does against Bama, typically. That's that's kind of how how it felt when they just have no match whatsoever for that talent. So I'm officially worried for Mississippi State. I, I think they have a lot of issues. Um, the LSU side of it though, let's, let's finish up with, with this thought on LSU. They're at least probably now, if you're doing SEC power rankings, they're at least number two. (laughs) All right. Just like that. They, they went from being, oh man, this is a team that's middle of the pack. Maybe they're seven and five, eight and four. We're saying that after the Florida state thing. And I tweeted out who's the number two team in the SEC. And I knew I, I put LSU Ole Miss in Bama. I knew LSU was going to be the more the most overwhelming choice. And I was wondering if I was going to get some write-in votes. The write-in votes were for Georgia, meaning LSU is number one and Georgia is number two. If that's your take, I'd say let's let's chill. Okay. Mississippi State was still picked to finish last in the division, a team that I, I thought was getting disrespected in the preseason, but you saw those issues play out, not t- taken away from LSU, who was masterful on Saturday. But beating one Power 5 team doesn't mean that you are suddenly better than the two-time defending national champs that you got smoked by in the SEC championship. Just just 
wanted to throw that out there if there was any sort if of. If those two play, if those two teams play on Saturday, LSU wins that game. If Georgia gets off to that start against LSU and it's Jaden Daniels instead of Spencer Rattler out there, I'd they've, still, sl- they, they've started slow every game. If okay, so. If if you're saying that those two teams play at a neutral site on Saturday, I agree that we have seen more upside from LSU this year. No question about it. That game was more impressive than what Georgia has done. Won't take that away. Am I getting Lab McConkey back for for that Georgia game? Am I getting am I getting some of the am I getting Mims back who went down in that game? Is it like or are we just saying based on where these two teams are at right now? That's just right now. Else. Yeah, we're okay. not predicting for the championship game. Yeah, but just where they're at in this point in the season. Because I sure as heck hope Bama gets better too. Because if they, well, no, I don't. But I, I assume they will. <laughs> if LSU, okay, I also need to know is LSU stopping off at West Point, Mississippi to be able to get stretches in at 8 20 in the morning? Because if they're doing that, then yeah, I guess LSU is the better team in that scenario. Kirby's going to be stopping off at random random car dealerships to do stretches if that's the case man they were so so ready to go i was yep really impressed by lsu on a day in which all these contenders looked like they played down to their competition lsu was kind of the one that really flexed and had the big time day and reminded us yep speaking okay. of flexing connor yeah you know what i'm about to say did you see caleb jackson's hit the no, wait, wait a minute. Are we talking about the one that was the no? We're not. T- uh, okay, yes, yes, yes. The the one that was on the sideline that if you just tuned in for a brief moment and, and you saw what the LSU running back did to a poor Mississippi State fa- defender who I was trying to think of his name and I couldn't think of it uh, as you were saying mm-hmm. that 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 play was just basically the entire story of the day. Like that that was it in a nutshell, right there. Yeah, that was a. A pop. I think I let out an audible gasp when I when I saw that that poor guy just get absolutely dropped. LSU needs a little more of that, to be honest. Yep, that guy is a freshman, Caleb Jackson. Um, yep. <laughs> so yeah, I'm and I'm not. You know, obviously LSU looked terrible against FSU, and you know me, like I'm very um, I'm I'm very fair when LSU gets blown out and when they look terrible. And this is exactly what you hope to see. And also, I mean, I was doubting LSU coming into this game. They proved me wrong. When I heard that Omar Spates was not going to go in this game, the back of my mm-hmm. mind goes, oh my God, if Brian Kelly starts Harold Perkins in that spot, we're cooked. Because I thought that would move him farther away from the ball. But no, they brought in, you know, weeks and it was it was a different game. So yeah, I, I am not going to get too cocky. I'm not going to go, no, but being at that Georgia game, seeing the way Bama played, seeing the way that contenders across the aisle. And I want to give credit to, you know, what we saw early from Ole Miss, or at least late in the two-lane game, because they they appear to be pretty solid as far as what we've seen. But this is the first time that the SEC is just, it feels this wide open, because this is the first time we've seen Bama struggle like this since I've been an adult. So this is a really exciting time, because you truly can feel like if you're one of about four or five fan bases, that if you just don't beat yourself, you might have a shot in you know October, November. Maybe with the exception of Mississippi State, because outside of Vandy, I think I have most concerns about them, about what they've been mm-hmm. so far. And that's that's really troubling. Can we talk about oh, one yeah. of those teams, Ole Miss? Absolutely. A team that's feeling much better after Saturday. I shouldn't say much better, but, Will, I've got a confession. Okay. I don't think I've said this, anything like this on these airwaves. I am becoming a Jackson Dart fan. I, I am really really impressed i'm not i'm not 100 all in i i'm not sitting there 
pretending like I'm going to grow out a Jackson Dart mustache. I'm going to start wearing the eye black like him. Uh, that's that's not going to be my thing yet. I, I'm not fully there. I want to see what what he looks like against an SEC foe. We're going to get plenty of opportunities to see him look, whether or not he's made that real year two in lane Kiffin system step based on the competition. That, that will dictate it. But after everything we heard this offseason about all the the things he's done to rectify those turnover issues, the command of the offense, all of those things and how it motivated him to have Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard come into that quarterback room. Hearing all these storylines, I actually think that is checked out. It looks real. It really has looked like that guy is improved. Here's what I liked about the night that he had. So if you weren't following this, earlier in the day, Chris Lowe reported that Quinchon Judkins was doubtful for this one and that he was banged up, which, you know, Ole Miss is a nearly a three touchdown favorite against the Georgia Tech team that they smoked last year. It would have made sense if Ole Miss had just decided, you know what, Bama's next week. Let's sit out our best player. Let's kind of get him right. It's been tough sledding for him in the early part of the season. You know that workload is always going to be very, very high for him whenever he's on the field. So then pregame, Cole asked Lane if Judkins is playing. And Lane says that Judkins told him that he was playing. (laughs) Not like, oh, yeah, you know what? We made the decision. We decided to let him play. No, no, no. Judkins told Kiffin, yeah, I'm playing in this one. We also knew that Lane was really critical of the ground game this week. And there was a major priority for that group to be able to get things going and look like what we come to expect of the old Miss rushing attack week in, week out, at least under Lane Kiffin. So what's the game plan? Is it force feed Quinchon Judkins a bunch of carries? No, not at least not by his standard. I think he finished with 15 scrimmage touches, which is nothing for him. Right. Instead, what they decide to do, Jackson Dart is going to be the focal point of that ground game. And it's going to be quarterback keepers. And don't you know it? He looked great. He's done that before time to time. It's not like it was his first time surpassing the century mark, but I thought he looked awesome. So decisive, 14 carries for 136 rushing yards. The physicality was there, even though sometimes I just wish he would slide or not dive like a a weirdo. It's just like, all right, find a way to go down. You're not Matt Corral. You're not built like iron. Right. To his credit, he, he very much looked ready to go and looked like someone who was willing to tweak that part of his game given the circumstances. But there's also the other part of this and something we talked about a lot with him last year and why we just weren't really sold on him. It all felt, it felt like all the throws that he would make last year were around that same distance. It was 10 to 15 yards. That that's his comfort zone. And really outside of that, you don't really feel like Lane trusts him a whole lot. And actually the numbers kind of dictate that Lane trusted him, just maybe not so much. He just didn't really like the results. Already this year, he has 10 completions on passes with at least 20 air yards. Last year, he had the third most attempts in the SEC on those plays. He had 62 attempts on passes that traveled at least 20 yards through the air. And he only completed 36% of those passes, which was fourth worst in the SEC. That was the stat that they shared on the broadcast. And I was like, yes, that's the difference right there. And this was despite the fact that Trey Harris still banged up after he's gotten off to a great start. There's a lot of new pieces in that receiving room. Jackson Dart has been 
the constant. And he was clearly more in control than Haynes King, who um, had better numbers than I thought the night really you know, showed if you watched him, I, I thought he left a lot of plays out there, but just a nice response from Ole Miss. And I was, I, I was like, this is, this is exactly what you would hope to see in the second half from them. Yes. And another little like fun feature of this is, and I don't remember how the stat ended up, but we were very deep into the year last year and you had the stat that um, Dart had zero red zone rushing touchdowns that they would go to him, but he just zero rushing touchdowns, just zero rushing oh. touchdowns at all until the bowl. Zero rushing that, touchdowns at that was all. I was like, hearing yes. that, I was like, it had to be red zone because he had two in the red zone today. And yes. that's, that's, that's great, honestly, because if you feel like you have that and Judkins is kind of struggling, kind of hobbled the way he has been like he, every time they went to him, he just could not finish the run. And I think that obviously Georgia tech is an inferior opponent. We understand that, but at the same time, you know, we, I talked about this a little bit coming into the year. The way that Judkins was set up in this year was so tough because he did so well last year, you know, as a freshman and then going into his sophomore year with everything changing, like, and not, you know, not in terms of the offense, but in terms of just the personnel. And now he has the expectations. It's not, Oh, you're this fun guy that we can, you know, you can kind of slide off. It's you're going to be the focal point of the defense every week. And what we talked about is, it's going to be about Jackson Dart from there, right? Because last year, they tried to start, stop Jackson Dart. It worked. Judkins saved them. This year, they're trying to stop Judkins. It's working so far, and Dart is balling. And that's a night and day difference in an offense being successful. And I, I wonder how much of this has to do with what we've seen from from Judkins so far. And again, if, he, if he's banged up and he's dealing with injuries or something, that's that's one thing. But I, I don't think any old Miss would have expected through the first three games that his longest rush of the year would be 13 yards with how explosive he was last year. I wonder if part of it too, when you come in as the three-star recruit and you're third on that depth chart, probably coming into the season behind Bentley, behind Evans, and you come in like somebody that just feels like I was overlooked in the recruiting process. I got to work my tail off to, to show that I can be that guy. And then the big news at the end of last season was – He's got this NIL deal. You don't have to worry about him going to Auburn or anything like that. And now the expectations that come with that and being in preseason All-American, all those different things when you lead the SEC in rushing, it's not just as maybe as simple as loaded boxes. Maybe that's why he's saying, I'm playing. I'm going to make sure that I'm out there. I don't want to be the, the, the guy that people are saying is going through a sophomore slump or anything like that. So maybe he's pressing a little bit and he's trying to find the, those running lanes. But like you said, the good news is that Jackson Dart is playing so tremendously well for that team. Pete Golding defense looking a little bit fun. Um, I can't wait for that next week. I can't wait for that Bama game. Here's a question. <laughs> Bama fans are going to hate this, but we need to ask it. How many Ole Miss quarterbacks are better than Bama's quarterbacks? Think about that. Um, Who would so, would all three of Ole Miss's quarterbacks be QB one on the Bama depth chart? I think so, man. I think so too. I think so too. I look, and the sample size is so small for for Walker Howard, so maybe that's a little bit unfair to say. But definitely Spencer Sanders. There's no doubt about it. If if Bama had Spencer Sanders right now, he would he would be the starter. There's no oh, yeah. question. There'd be no QB controversy. Yeah, it would be yeah. over with. Yeah, and instead, 
Spencer Sanders is holding a clipboard most of the time for for Ole Miss. And Jackson Getting Dart his patented one rushing attempt of the night every night. Yes, <laughs> like clockwork. They bring him in for that one play. It's like, yeah, Jackson Dart has treat. the tie shoe. Yeah, here's a little treat for you. We really appreciate that you transferred here from Oklahoma State as this four year starter, uh, but you're still not going to play. Yeah, this is so unique that Lane clearly has the quarterback advantage going into this matchup. Do you know how much Bama fans will freak out? If they watch a Pete Golding-led Ole Miss defense stymie a slew of Alabama quarterbacks, do you know what the panic level in Tuscaloosa will be if that happens? I'm desperately trying to save us from a one-star review from my bellowing laughter right now. Um, I'm sorry. That's why I'm making these faces. I can't. Yeah, I mean, no, that would be the funny one. The meme on Twitter about, like, they have a chance to do the funniest thing imaginable. The funniest thing imaginable would be going there with Judkins – and, and Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders and Pete Golding. And yeah, that, that would be the funniest thing imaginable. Oh, and Judkins too. God, I forgot about that. The, the fact that he's from Alabama and yep. oh man, that would be, gosh, I, I said last year and I'm eating my words already. We'll talk more obviously about the old Miss Bama game during the, the preview pod. But I said last year how it felt like that was such a missed opportunity for Lane to let that one slip away in Oxford when he had Bama on the ropes this year might be if you can't do it now with with Bama having so much uncertainty at quarterback this is kind of like oh when when is it going to happen for you because this is this this feels like Bama is in a, a different place than at any point since you know obviously Lane has been at Ole Miss being a saving assistant right now feels like a good thing those guys are on a streak yeah I mean Sark is Sark is one and oh and if an offensive minded coach like Sark can do it. And then maybe, maybe Kiffin can dial it up as well. Mm-hmm. Less, less fun game for the SEC team. Arkansas ugh, loses to BYU. Holy cow. Sam Pittman's got a bad offensive line. I, how, how this is the least sensical one of these bad offensive lines. He hinted at this. He did. And, the problem is that we talked about having Bo Limmer and Brady Latham, and it's great. You've got two anchors, and then you've got one of the best, maybe the best offensive line coach to be able to, to build up that inexperience that you've got around those pieces. But, man, um, when Brady Latham's out here getting flagged 15 times in a game – and that's supposed to be one of your anchors. I don't really know what you're going to do. He was getting, it was like automatic on that final drive that he's getting flags thrown. KJ had had some bad moments in this one, so I'm not going to totally let him off the hook. But I, I'm just baffled that this offensive line is getting totally dominated. Four sacks for BYU, but it felt like a lot more. It probably should have been. KJ's still really good at escaping pressure. And the last play of the game kind of told the story for Arkansas. KJ goes down as he's getting sacked. He just kind of throws it to nobody. And Arkansas offensive lineman is just standing there like, oh, hey, I might as well catch this. I'm not doing anything else. It's not like I'm blocking or anything. Might as well catch this pass, even though I'm not even close to being eligible on this play. And the refs flagged it immediately. Right. I, oh, it's bad. It's bad. This is an issue. And I, I – when Sam Pittman talked about this, I kind of ignored him. I said, 
to myself, well, you know what? Sam Pittman is as good as there is at coaching up an offensive line and right. they should be fine. The problem though, and why this equation has been so herky jerky, KJ is learning new things post snap. And if you're suddenly speeding him up in a way that he hasn't really been sped up in his career, when you don't want him to run, that's where the decision-making can become an issue. And this new offense with Dan Enos, we talked about the transformation Mississippi State's going going through with, with Will Rogers and the Kevin Barbet offense. And this offense with Dan Enos, you're seeing why there was a little bit of that skepticism there because you need the personnel, you need to be able to pass protect, and they just don't really have that. I thought when Arkansas got off to a 14 and nothing lead in the first three minutes, hey, it's off to the races, just like last year against BYU. But Arkansas squanders multiple double-digit leads in this game. Their last points came with 11.41 left in the third quarter at home against a team that you put up over 600 yards of offense against last year. And man, that was just a, a brutal, brutal finish. And I don't even think the defense was really that much of a problem. BYU only had 4.9 yards per play in this one. So it wasn't like they were totally getting gashed, the Travis Williams defense, but obviously they benefited from short fields. Arkansas also committed 14, 14 penalties for 125 yards at home at night. That, mm, that's, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. I, I just, I don't know what the offensive line rotation is going to look like. I don't know where those reinforcements are going to come. They're probably going to have some tough moments on defense. You don't know when Rockets coming back and will this upcoming schedule, this, this is the, the, the part that Arkansas fans are fearing after losing a game that was just sitting there for the taking you go mm-hmm. to LSU who just looked like a juggernaut. You obviously have the A&M game at Jerry World, which has been kind of a house of horrors for Arkansas. You got to go to Ole Miss, who I think has looked like one of the three best SEC teams so far, probably we could say. And then Mm -hmm. you still have to go to Alabama, which, by the way, that's the longest active yearly losing streak in the SEC, Arkansas against Alabama. We could look up in a month and Arkansas can be two and five. That's... I think they're going to win one of those, I think, because I think they're going to avoid two and five. But after what they experienced last year with that team kind of splintering down the stretch and you had this mass exodus, this can get bad. This 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 can get bad. I, I think Arkansas fans are kind of looking ahead thinking this needs to turn around in a hurry. Otherwise, this can feel like a lost season before the month of September even ends. Yeah, I mean, they're in such a difficult position, too, because, you know, we talked about the transition out of this kind of like uh, lateral offense that they're running to like the Danny knows kind of more like a fusion pro style. Um, and, you know, they're in a almost identical situation to where Mississippi State is, yep. uh, which is that they have these veteran quarterbacks who we were telling ourselves, oh, these quarterbacks have so they're so battle tested. They're going to be there. They're going to be the thing that, that keeps the offense on track. But. I mean, for Arkansas, they just can't protect him, which is insane when you think about how massive he is. Um, and like, I'll I'll say this really quick: like, it you can already, you can look at the preseason All SEC team, and already it feels like a cold take. You got Jaden at the top; no need to talk about that. Then you have KJ Jefferson at second. Then you got Will Rogers and um, Bazooka Joe, Joe. Yeah, tied after that. 
And those guys are some, so far, you know, the worst quarterbacks in the SEC. And KJ has been, I'm not going to blame KJ in the way I will other guys. And I'm not blaming any of these guys. It's more about the offense and the guys around them that, and the penalties. And like, it's, it, it just shows you there's only so much you can do at the college level as a great quarterback. Uh, if everybody else is just a spy, you know? Yeah. I thought watching that last drive and I, I go to bat for KJ all, all day, every day. He's, he's my guy. I, I will defend him. But I'll admit, going into that last drive, I didn't have a ton of confidence that they were going to put together a game tying touchdown drive. I just didn't. Right. Maybe part, of, obviously, a big part of that was was the offensive line. I don't think the receivers have been been a liability in the way that some feared. But man, the, the protection is just not there, and they're going through some things that that I think right now are are, are really really difficult. When you know what awaits, you're you're hoping with a new scheme that by this point of the season that three games in you're feeling like all right we we know who we are we know how we're going to be able to get this on apologies by the way if you can hear claire in the background she is just woken up from a nap she uh she slept better than i did last night definitely slept a little bit better than i did did not she didn't stay up and watch colorado like i did in overtime mm -hmm. um but yeah we uh we we expect these certain these 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 learning curves with with new schemes if you're going through it and man it just felt like Arkansas is is climbing such an uphill battle right now um and it it can get ugly it can absolutely get ugly okay we really got a deaf cat and a newborn baby huh this is an auditory journey we we do we do yeah um apologies again apologies do not give us a one-star review if you can hear a crying baby in the background yeah okay. I, really quick really because i don't even i don't know if you've mentioned this i was at the airbnb and my wi-fi died so i had to speed home from athens so apologies if that's like weird but it's funny because i walked in the door i woke up my cat she starts screaming my door's closed so i can't do anything i'm like no i'm like trying to mute my mic <laughs> that's just funny but appreciate you guys sticking with us for what has mostly been on my end <laughs> No, you're yeah. Look, we're, uh, we're 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 trying to make it work on a Sunday morning. That's what we're trying to do. Okay, let's do some yar not to close things out. I told you we were going to mm -hmm. talk about the Bama quarterback situation, and please, <laughs> yar not. Jalen Milrow is Bama's best and only option for QB one. Um. Okay. So. I, we still don't know about Ty Simpson, but to win SEC games right now, probably Jalen Milrow. Yeah, yeah. The the clock with Ty Simpson. I thought the clock with Jalen Milrow was too slow. And, and the offensive line for Alabama is not doing those quarterbacks any favors. The snaps are all over the place. They're, think, they're totally thinking about snap location, and it's giving them basically a full second to, to have to work through that. And that is just totally disrupting a lot of different things. But man, I, I thought watching Ty Simpson after he came in for a very, very ineffective Tyler Buckner, I thought this Who could is have just foreseen not this, Connor? Who could have foreseen that Tyler Buckner was not good? Um I kept I kept trying to tell people <laughs> Tyler Buckner is not a game manager in his career yet. He is not. If there was ever a game that could have been managed, it was on the road against a USF team. That had lost what 19 consecutive games against FBS competition and Bama yeah. in a 3 3 dogfight at half and doing really whatever it possibly could just to hold on to a win. 
Uh, this was just a weird game all around. It was a weird game because of the rain delay, hour long rain delay. Um, camera views were all over the place. If you're trying to watch this game, cause they had to get the camera people off of the, the certain areas outside of the stadium. So you're, if you're a Bama fan, you're just livid watching this game. And also this was, and Doreen brought this point up on ICC final. And I, I think it's worth remembering. They could have brought Jalen Milrow in and probably won this game 28 to three. I, th- I think they could have. I, I don't think that's. I don't think that's crazy. If it was as simple as let's bring in our best quarterback to play, I think they would have defaulted to that instead of bringing in Ty Simpson. When Tyler Buckner was struggling early, Saban could have simply said, "You know what? Let's stop messing around with this. Let's not treat this as an evaluation. Let's just bring in Jalen Milrow. You at least know what he's gonna what he's gonna give you with his legs, and we've seen with his arm against lesser competition, he can do some really great things." But this game wasn't treated like that. And Saban wanted to truly see in live reps with these guys actually getting hit, what do I have in Tyler Bruckner? What do I have in Ty Simpson? <sighs> nothing that made you feel confident. Uh, nothing. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't get the play calling, why the lack of design runs for Tyler Buckner, why why that is still a thing. When Tommy Reese should know better than anybody, that's a guy that needs design runs to be able to get going. And instead he's watching him just throw balls into the grass repeatedly. And yep. you're just kind of wondering, well, maybe it's the offensive line and how, how weak they look. They just do not – they just don't pass protect at all anymore. What since when does Bama being the size of of small houses? That's the thing. They just keep talking about the size of this offensive line, and it's like they're getting whipped by South South Florida. Like, <laughs> if if there's two things that I think we need to move past from three things that we need to move past from the preseason, it is mm-hmm. this Georgia offense will be more explosive in the passing game. I'm done with that take. Um, Joe Milton's arm. Let's talk about his arm. Let's keep continue to talk about his arm um, yeah. when the downfield passing game, while it looked better at moments uh, against Florida, it's still just not there at the level that it was at last year. And then let's stop talking about, and I'm including myself in this because I talked about it a lot week one. I talked about it going into the Texas game. Let's stop talking about the size of that Alabama offensive line until it actually matters because it does mm-hmm. not. If you're going to pass protect that poorly, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. This, this team is – is in a really, really rough spot. And to think that Jalen Milrow, after what we saw with the mistakes that he made against Texas, to think that he's clearly the best option right now. This, this is, this is going to be interesting. This is not 2015 as Saban was telling the ESPN crew uh, saying, and RG three kept bringing up that point of, Oh, you know, they had this quarterback battle with Jake Coker and, and Cooper Bateman. I'm like, was it really? Yeah. Was it really? I don't know. Would they start Jake Coker right now? That's a good question. Definitively, 100%, without a doubt, yes. Yes, they would. Would they have 2015 levels of success? No, because they don't have Derrick Henry. They don't have Derrick yeah, Henry. that's a pretty and, big deal. Yeah. yeah. Last I checked, he's a pretty important part of the offense. And that's why this also isn't 2015. You don't have an unbelievable defense that can do those things. And you don't have Derrick Henry. So it's not 2015. 
Bama always had the swamp monster offensive lineman. They always had this freak running back. They even, like, even if it was Trent Richardson, which, and that dude in college is one of my favorite players ever. And as good as Jason McClellan is, and I think he's uh, doing way more than I think we could expect of him. Royda Williams also looked, Royda Williams also looked yeah. really, really good in this game as well. But I, I think at some point we need, it's okay to be honest with what our eyeballs are telling us about Alabama, which is that, and you said it on the podcast, they're not doing anything well. Um, there's yes. nothing th- that they're good at. There's nothing that when you stack them up against a, you know, one of the previous teams or a team that we knew to be national champions in the past of another school, you know, of a playoff team of, you know, some of the old Notre Dame teams that they played that those teams wouldn't blow them out of the water uh, because at least those teams had an identity. Um, I'll, I'll say this. This is a little bit of a pop quiz. Our like Basura inside joke. Do you know what that came from? Did it come from... This, this was an off-season deal, right? This Almost. So I'll tell you. So it was Dan Mullen's game where Anthony Richardson went off against USF. And what it I said was... It goes back to that. Oh, yes. yes and what Will. I said was, as a person who has been watching USF football for the last 10 years, they are basura. There is no way to explain how bad this team is. You can't fairly evaluate Anthony Richardson's success because of how bad this team is. And hey, that was all of two years ago. Maybe they've gotten a whole new group of guys in there. But as a guy who has watched a lot of USF football, watching them play in the Ray J, Raymond James rented stadium with the red seats, I am blown away because I thought, oh, they're going to start Buckner. He's going to throw for 300 yards and they're going to have to stick with him. The concept of them struggling yep. against this team is so foreign to me. And then we all were joking about like, oh, yeah, but they're going to win this game. And then they were down three. And then the weather delay happened. And then they were tied at three for like two hours. RG3 was a, was apologizing to the viewers <laughs> at home for, for this game. When was the last time you watched an Alabama football game and you had to be apologized to for the level of football? That was, that was being played. I think, and I don't know, there's somebody has this stat probably somewhere. I'm convinced Bama leads the nation in touchdowns called off because of penalties. They, they are elite. That's the thing that they're elite at. That's their, their best thing that Saban brought that up afterwards. Nobody is better at scoring touchdowns and getting them wiped off the board for stupid penalties than Bama. That is, you know what? That's a, that's your calling card going into week four, going into sec play. Yeah, uh, Jalen Milrow is the option. I did not like what we saw at all. And I don't think you could just chalk it up to the weather conditions in this one. Not anything that made you feel confident if you're a Bama fan. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like one more thing on that. I think I think we're right there. And I think, again, this is, you know, I, I was saying this to people like all, all weekend in Athens. It's like everything that we know and love, like me and you, Connor, our entire career together at SDS, my pretty much entire, like, uh, you know, I was really young, but I didn't really know, you know, what a, dig route was at that point in time all of that time has been spent under an Alabama dynasty where we felt to some degree we kind of know how this year is going to end either Alabama is going to win or they're going to make it right there and just come this short this year feels like the most open season that I've seen since like 2007 um because it feels like so far the worst Bama team we've seen since 2007 so I am like so fired up about this year of college football because I mean you look and there are these insane upsets there's you know Oklahoma State getting blown out by South Alabama is Alabama the best team in the state of Alabama people are asking um but but uh like you know what I'm saying so this stuff is and like I said Alabama is going to figure this out to some degree we don't think Alabama is going to win six games but you know when they played Middle Tennessee and we were talking about we both said 
we they are what we thought they are. And then you're like, I don't think they're gonna go nine and three. Nine and three right now feels like they would really pull out of this thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, watch now they're gonna beat Ole Miss forty five to seven. <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> Bama Bama's got things figured out. But yeah, there there was no result of this game that was going to all of a sudden convince me that Bama has all these issues figured out and I certainly did not think that it was going to be as bad as it was. Okay, question. Last yar or not for you. Yep. Your best SEC quarterbacks through week three. <laughs> Let's go. Are Connor Wigman and Jaden Daniels yar or not? I feel like that second spot's vacant. Um, but or yeah, does, that think- sec- does that second spot belong to Jackson Dart? Right now, it's probably Jackson Dart, just based on that. He has the better win. He beat Tulane. Uh, yeah, it's, it's got to be Jackson Dart. That's so funny. We didn't that's, think he was going to start. That's where we're at. A guy that I did not think was going to start in the spring is now looking like an all-SEC quarterback through a couple of weeks. And you should probably have to face SEC quarterbacks. But I don't think you can count guys who haven't faced Power 5 teams yet. So, like, a Devin Leary. That Devin Leary play that he made where he was going down and he just somehow gets it to Ray Davis, who does the rest of the work was KJ Jefferson esque, but even Kentucky fans would tell you the the slow starts with, with Devin Leary. Um, He's, he hasn't been one of the two best quarterbacks in the conference, but it truly feels wide, wide open. And I asked this question because during set on sec final Connor Wigman for his money is the best quarterback in the sec through three weeks. And we're just talking about through three weeks. We're not talking about who's going to be the best quarterback by season's end, but who has looked the best week in, week out. And I have a tough time disagreeing with that. And I know that I am a, a Wigman defender through and through. And in a game in which obviously they were going to be a significant favorite against Louisiana Monroe, Terry Bowden somehow wearing a jacket and a shirt and a tie in Texas heat in September. <laughs> My God. Um, and they were without Evan Stewart didn't even play. They lose, they lose Thomas as well uh, in that game. And, and, and they, and they were fine. Uh, did, did not matter for, for kind of Wigman at all, but he's been really good. It just kind of leads to what we've been talking about for a while. It feels like it is wide open. It is totally wide open, especially when we don't have, you know, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, those guys to be able to talk about at the top. Yeah, like I said, I just I'm not right there with Wigman. I think you know that he had one good drive against Miami. He had one seven. No, no, no. One good, what are you talking? One good drive against Miami? No, 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 no. They, no okay, no, okay. No. Watch. Here's the first drive. 15 plays, touchdown. Or sorry, 15 yards, touchdown. Second drive, nine yards, touchdown. And then they have a 75 yard touchdown drive. The other two longer drives ended in picks. They ended in they ended in picks because he's trying to make something play when they're there. She's trying to make something happen when they're like it's fourth down and he's trying. Okay. To, and Jake Daniels is going forward on fourth and seven and hitting neighbors in the back of the end zone. Very true. <laughs> so that that is an insane. I'm fine with him being two. Putting him one is mm, okay. All right. I'm just saying if you, if you are if you are down on Connor Wigman, watch him play. Watch the throws that he is I, making. I watched him play. I watched him uh, lose to Miami. I watched him get outplayed by Tyler Van Dyke. Dude put up 48 points. So if you're saying a guy Look, doesn't put I up love 49 Tyler Van points. Dyke. I love Tyler Van Dyke. I'm just telling you. Okay, you could talk about Jaden's second half against FSU, who, you know, in the end they struggled on Saturday. Miami has done what in the last 10 years? Like, you can't have, be this guy, be at that program, have that talent, and be the best quarterback in the SEC and get ripped by Miami. I know it's not on the, it's on the defense, but if you're that level of quarterback, you got to do something. I 
I, I thought he did something. We'll, we'll agree to disagree uh, on that. He's second. We can, he can be second. But first is insane at this point okay. in the season. Fair, fair. Um, very much wide open. My uh, all-SEC ballot, very much up for grabs at this mm-hmm. point. Slate looks pretty good less, next week. Looks really good. I'm excited for it. I, I love when we get into conference play. I'm, I get to the point where I just get so unbelievably sick of having like these games that don't mean anything in terms of like, – we're not talking about Auburn having the week that it did against, you know, against Samford. Although we are Samford respecters after what they did in the swamp a couple of years ago. Speaking of damn on, never oh. count up the Samford yet. Yeah. Um, but yes, the week four slate looks really, really good. Yeah. I'm excited for that Auburn A&M game. Obviously, Ole Miss, Bama, we talked about. Arkansas, LSU is going to be really interesting. And then even Mississippi State, South Carolina. Mississippi State, South Carolina, a couple of teams right now who are in weird, weird spots. I'm not sure if I'm going to revert. Backed. If I'm going to go back on my preseason pick to have Mississippi State winning in Columbia, but we'll see. We will have a full, full preview pod. First time guests. Should I say who we're going to have on this week? Should I say who we're going to have on? You know what? Screw it. Marty Smith coming on this week. First time. Marty Smith. I don't know how it's only his first time coming on Saturday Down South podcast, but looking forward to that as well. If you have not, leave us a five star review. Like I said earlier, subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app formerly known as Twitter at the SDS pod at Sat Down South at CGO Kira at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.